Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, church family. Please do have a seat. So one of the joys of being up here is that you get to point people out and, um, and highlight them, and there's pretty not much you can do about it. So, so this morning, I'd like to highlight the Pretorius family. Have you noticed the color coordination? Okay, green on the edge, then black, then green, then red, then green. Families, there's a standard. <laughs> so, okay, so well done, guys. <laughs> Heinz going to kill me later. <laughs> that look, that look. Uh, it is so good to be with you on this beautiful morning. I mean, uh, as you know, we Namibians, we always talk about rain, but man, what a beautiful day it was yesterday. We had the, the blessing of sitting at uh, Farm Vintage IJG Trails when, when the rain came down. Kevin, I saw you left. You didn't go riding. A, you know, commitment. Yeah, but it was, it was a lot of fun just to, to be out there. And, and uh, the thing I love about Namibia, it's... it's um, when you read, especially like the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, there's so much about Namibia that resonates with what you read in scriptures. I know Brian Dan is one of the favorite verses is that uh, the, r- the river's running in the desert. And that's always so beautiful. You go through a time where everything is brown and then we get some, some rain and <clears throat> everything comes to life. And it's a good reminder, I think for me and I hope for all of us, that, that God is always at work even when things don't look like it. And so this morning, we are going to be spending some time looking at the Old Testament and seeing how the Old Testament points towards Jesus coming. But before we do, have any of you ever heard of Nostradamus? Okay, so when I was 10 years old, just a wee warthog, very influenced, you know, being able to be influenced. And um, a friend, an older friend of ours, told me about Nostradamus. So remember, I'm 10 years old. This is the age before internet, okay? So that's when you use books. Okay, I'm just talking to the younger generation here. And uh, I was told that Nostradamus said that in 1996, there would be a World War III and the world would end. Now, as a 10-year-old, I was told this by a trusted friend. I was devastated, shattered, you know. And of course, as you do with these great big lies in your life, you don't tell anyone about it. And I was just like, I'm going to die soon. The world will end. Everybody I love. And so I lived in fear for at least two years waiting for this world to end and just, you know, for it all to be over. And I realized that my life, my perspective, my worldview had all been shaped by something that I knew diddly squat about, that I knew nothing about. Luckily, somewhere along the line, I spoke to someone and they they corrected me and and here we are, still alive. (laughs) I don't know if it's uh, more telling that this was in 1996, you know, whenever kids ask you and you start with 19, they're like, oh, that's so long ago. We have no comments about such things. (laughs) But the question this morning is, what are the statements, what are the lies, uh, what are are the the, the things that have shaped your life, the way you look at the world? What are those things? I know that in my life, for many years, um, I, I haven't done this illustration in a while, but I illustrate my life story with Smarties. And as people, you see those that know the story are really chuckling. Those, and as people pass away in my life, because I have a morbid sense of humor, because that's how I cope with life. Um, as people pass away in my life, I eat the Smarties. It's very dramatic. I've already said at my funeral, everybody's getting Smarties. But um, as, 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 I, as I look back at my life, I realize the lie was that people would never choose me. 
and that people would leave me. Because I, I had um, my biological dad <coughs> didn't marry my mom, and so he left, and he died when I was 12 years old. And my stepdad and my mom divorced, um, I think, officially when I was 16, but already much longer. So um, the lie is always when, when God, when the Bible speaks about father heart of God, or God being my father back then, I was like, yeah, no thanks, eh? I've had two, they're both messed up, I'm good, don't need that. And uh, I realized that for many years, I allowed those lies to shape my worldview and how I believe things. Now, luckily, God heals us. And so throughout the years, God has healed me with that. And that I, I know that before the world was created, God had already chosen me. And, and that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And those are the, the, the truths that I had to believe to be able to go through this life differently. And so this morning, what are some of the statements that define your life, good or bad? This is where you get an opportunity. <laughs> Can you tell that we're still teaching? You have to think, yeah. So what are some of the statements that define your life? One of the things was that, that I realized is that I had to be able to do everything on my own because if I counted on someone, they would leave. That's not how God wants us to, to live. Yes, little. Not worth it. Nobody would want to be around you. Luckily, we serve a living God that comes and heals us from those. Some other statements. It doesn't need to be the bad ones. It could also be the ones that God has given you healing with. Good news is I know most of your names. Nadine? we go. Very much so. Thank you, Nadia. I, I praise God that I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. You would too if you knew me. So how amazing is it that God can change us? So those are kind of the statements that we, we look at and, and they define us and they are the, the mottos of our lives. So on that, I would like to, to ask, um, what happened in church last Sunday? Who can tell us? Who was here? Let's do it this way around. <laughs> okay, who was here last Sunday? Oh, we only had five people in church. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what happened? What was our opening song last week? Second song? Uh-huh. Preaching? <laughs> Good job. What else happened in that service? A test me? Who's test me? Okay, what was it about? That is so generic. That's like the answer is Jesus. It's like what God did. <laughs> what else happened? What was our closing song? Yes. A baby. Which baby dedication? A small baby. <laughs> A cute, small baby. Okay, what else? What time did we start? Okay. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> so, and, and, okay, so here we have in this room, I, I can't count. Uh, I once had to estimate how much my mom's Maltese poodle weighed. I said 10 kilograms. So I don't estimate things, all right? I nearly <laughs> killed it with sleeping tablets accidentally. Um, so how many people are in here? Somebody is good at guessing. Let's say 50 people in here. 
we are in the, at the same time of the year, we all speak English, we all kind of come from the same background. And so when we, we look at the Bible and you realize that the Bible was written over 1,500 years, I ask you to remember what happened last week. Not years ago. What happened in uh, 2019 on the 7th of June? Yeah, you get my point, right? So the Bible was written over 1,500 years in three different languages. We all speak English in this, in this hall right now. By 40 different authors. We're about 50, but some of us didn't want to admit that we were in church last week. Uh, over three continents, and all had differing professions. And so when you put that all together and you see that the Bible has this, this truth that goes all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation, this morning's exercise, I hope, teaches you and shows you, because it does me, how amazing it is that God pulled everything together. For it all to still be true from Genesis all the way to Revelation with all of that information. We didn't do so well on that test, but the Bible does. And so one of the things that I love about following Jesus is that not only is he the source of my salvation, but he is also the proof and the, the, uh, the proof of the existence and the truth of the Bible. And when we, when we look at that and we look at the world we in, live in right now, there is, as you know, with Gaza and Israel and Palestine right now, there's the physical war, but there's also the information war going on. And so everybody is telling their side of the story. And we're not going to look at that right now, but you, you look at there's all of this information, and what we need to know is what is true. We're looking at one situation, but we also need to know what is true in our lives. What is true, if, if I'm going to base my eternal destiny, I want to know whether it's true. And that's what I love about the Bible, that the Old Testament points towards the coming of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be looking at, all right? So we start in Genesis Chapter 3, and it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And he will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What is that verse about? Who's speaking, first of all? Who's speaking? It's Genesis chapter 3. It's God speaking. Okay, and in this passage, who's he speaking to? To the serpent, and we know that he's actually speaking to Satan, right? And so what he says is that I'll put enmity, I was going to pick on Cindy, but she's not here. Do we have any other English teachers? Where's Cindy? Where did you go? I think she might have gone to Sunday school. Yeah. So what does enmity mean? Strife. Yeah, there will be, there will be strife, there will be conflict, okay? Between you and the woman. Now, if you know anything about the, the, the Old Testament especially, what was the role of, of the woman in those days? Not very high, okay? So let, let me give you an illustration. This is Matthew chapter 1. What do you notice? It's father, 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 okay? And I mean, this is just, it starts in the, like chapter 1, and this is only verse 13. Zerubbabel was the father of so, and this one was the father of so, and this one was the father of so. So when we go back to this verse, and we see they're speaking about enmity between you and the woman, we have our first little indicator what we are talking about. Because if you look in Matthew, you'll see that the, the man, especially in the Old Testament, played a very large role. And so when we look at this, we see that this is the first indicator, the first mention that we have of Jesus coming. 
if you have a look at verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. How amazing is that, that right in the beginning, when we first messed up, God had a plan for Jesus. That there was already a plan for each one of us. If we have a look in Galatians 4 verse 4, it says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. If we even have a look at the verse here, and and we see here, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What do you think Satan thought when Jesus died on the cross? He won. He thought he won. Okay? And then what happened after three days? He rose again and he crushed the plans that Satan had. So how incredible is that? Is that before anything, before we were even here, before we had our mess-ups, God had a plan. I think to me that's just absolutely incredible. That's so there's this amazing book that it's called 101, and we'll look at it. 101, uh, I've forgotten their name now, Pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, basically. And it's all of these places where you see Jesus being, being pointed towards Jesus. One of the most well-known ones is from Genesis chapter 22, and we're looking at Abraham. And it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two, two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Can anybody remember what happened just before this? What was said to Abram? Go sacrifice your son. Why why is Abram saying we will come back to you? Let's go have a look at that, right? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Where have we heard that line before? Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a clear picture of Jesus. As we see in this passage, it is a transaction that happens between Abraham and Isaac, between the father and the son. What happened at Calvary? It was between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. That's the first picture. We see that Isaac, who carried the wood? The young guy. Isaac carried the wood. He carried the wood that he would have been sacrificed to the top of the mountain. Just like Jesus carried the wood for his sacrifice for us. That day, 
God provided a sacrificial lamb. Many years later, Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. There are many scholars, I'm not one of them, but there are many scholars that believe that Mount Moriah and Golgotha are in the same range of mountains, could even be the same mountain. So here we have, in many, many, many years ago, God is already pointing towards the coming of Jesus. After three days of walking, Abraham received his son back from what he thought would be Isaac's death. After three days, Jesus rose again. Isn't that just incredible? We read in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Just incredible. That already there in Genesis, we see another amazing picture of what is to come. Remember, it's the anticipation of great things. As I was preparing this, I've been a believer for more than, I don't want to do the maths, it hurts my head, but it's for, for a long time. And I, I have these moments again where God gives me this, this little, uh, what, what do we call it, a joy bomb. You know those moments where, yes, I know, I believe, but it's a confirmation of, this is a reminder why you believe what you believe. And as I was preparing this, I was just, I was blown away again by how Jesus is, is seen throughout the Old Testament. And we get to experience not only the seeing, but living. One of the most well-known passages is Isaiah 53. And we are, we are heading towards Christmas, but we are looking at Jesus. That's what we're looking at. And, and we see in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, and this is going to be a bit of reading, but as, as you hear or as you read, look to see where you can see Jesus. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Do you remember Saul? Saul was said that people were attracted to his, the way he looked, but Jesus was different. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We are all going through some difficult things, but how amazing that we have Jesus who knows deep grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Remember the, the scapegoat concept in the Old Testament? He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants that his life was caught, cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, he had deceived uh, and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Yet it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, I left out the next line. But how incredible that when we look at that passage, we see such a clear picture of Jesus, 
that this would be this moment when, when all of creation would stand back in awe as the cry of a baby would pierce the darkness and our, our source of salvation, our Lord, would be born. So if we have a look at the Old Testament, you'll see that this is a lot of prophecies. And if you look at scripture, what happens if a prophet says something? What, what is the job of a prophet? To speak God's words, right? And if he spoke incorrectly, what would happen to him in the Old Testament, thankfully? He would be stoned, and not the way we used to it. Okay? He would be put to death. Yeah, it's the world we live in. He would be put to death. If he spoke that which wasn't true, he would be put to death. We read in Deuteronomy 18.22, it says, If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So all of these, if, if it didn't come true, there would be a consequence. And the beauty of being on this side of the Old Testament is we can look back and we can see all of these truths coming around. What is the last book of the Old Testament? Old Testament. Malachi, thank you. Good job, some of us. Yeah, it's that kind of morning, can you tell? So the last book, and then how many years of silence do we have? 400 years of silence. And when you look at history, it's absolutely incredible. You see you've got the Romans coming in, you've got the Greeks coming in, and all of that was setting the stage for the coming of Jesus. You had, a, you had a, a world at that stage or that part of the world all spoke kind of more or less the same language. You had the roads from the Romans. God was, was moving. And that's encouragement for me because thankfully I'm not 400 years old yet. Yet, I do not plan on being. But in my own life, when I don't feel like God is moving, I'm reminded that he's always moving. He is always at work. Whether I see him or not, he is working. And so there's 400 years of silence. And then... In Matthew, we start the first, the first chapter, and we see Jesus is born. Now, I was reminded again of, so there's all of this stuff, you know, the scientific stuff about the possibility of so many predictions coming through is, you know, like 170 to the power of 17 and all. You know, who wants that on a Sunday morning, you know? No one, right. But I was reminded just how precise God was. And so if we have a look, and we look at uh, portraits of Jesus in the Hebrew scriptures by Bob Beasley. And he says, this is what it says in the Bible, who Jesus will be. The Messiah will be of the seed of Abram. We find that in Genesis chapter 22. The son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, and the family line of Jesse of the house of David. And so when you look at that, you kind of go, hmm. but yeah, let, me, let me read to you exactly what that means. And this is from the book. I'm quoting from the book. To explore in further detail, we first notice that these prophecies use a male pronoun when referring to the Messiah's gender. This excludes half of the population. Sorry, woman, we're out of there. Okay. This excludes half of everyone who has ever lived from the pool of the Canaanites. Abraham had two sons, one of whom was Isaac. Thus, half of the men that had lived are descended from Abraham or excluded from the pool. Okay. So we're there on the top. Isaac also had two sons, one of whom was Jacob. This eliminates half the male descendants of Isaac from that pool. Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Judah, which eliminates 11 of every 12 of his male descendants from the pool. 
Jude had five sons, which eliminates four out of the five of all his male descendants. Jesse fathered eight sons, one of whom was David. This eliminates seven out of the eight male descendants of Jesse from the pool. Lastly, David had ten sons, eliminating nine out of ten male descendants of David. Isn't that incredible? And so when you, when you look at Scripture and it says that he would be born in Bethlehem, there's, there's some things that you can do. You know, if you know that you need to come in a donkey, you find a donkey and you ride in with a donkey, okay? But you can't determine where you're born. Otherwise, some of us wouldn't have been born in Kitman's Whip. But there's certain things that you can't determine. You can't determine who your descendants are. And we see that, that at the ho- this entire time, God is moving. And so as we enter the season of, of looking at where we see Jesus in the scriptures, I, st- I could literally go on. You see, it says, oh, it says 101 portraits of Jesus in the Old Testament. 101 times where, and that's just the minimum of where we see Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And to me, that is so exciting. Because that shows that nothing is accidental. That God had a plan from the very beginning. We're doing a short service today. In closing, I'd like to read to us Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. That's Isaiah, written many hundreds of years ago. And how amazing is it that we get to live in the, in the presence of that, in the fulfillment of this passage. That's where we live right now. If you don't know Jesus this way, don't wait. Don't miss out. I have goosebumps, and it's not because of a fan. Because of God's word and his reminder that he has amazing plans for each one of us. This morning, as we, as we start our journey into December, what do we say? Ka December. Yeah. Followed by January. Okay. But as we, follow, as we get into this time, and it's a time of rest and a time of being with family, which could be restful or stressful, whichever one. But as we go throughout this time, don't forget that Jesus... He, he wants to be part of every moment of our lives. And there is a plan for each one of us. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are, that you sent your son to die for us so many years ago, and that you actually sent your son to live for us, to show us how we can walk through this world. Lord, I thank you that as, as we look through the Old Testament, that in between all of the things happening, the chaos and the and the, the, the beauty and, and the strife and everything that we see your son so clearly. So Lord, I thank you for, for this church family. I thank you for all those that are traveling, all those that, are, that aren't here, uh, that have already arrived and are doing swimming competitions and all those things. Lord, I thank you that you have brought us all together, that we can celebrate who you are to us and what you have given us. So Lord, we commit this month to you and, and as we spend time looking at the great anticipation of, of, of the arrival of your son, I thank you that we get to do this together as a church family. Lord, we commit this morning to you, and we thank you so much for your love and your grace. Ask us all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast. <laughs>